So I don't know if you remember five or six years ago, maybe maybe six, seven years ago, uh, everybody rushing out and getting an Alexa or a Google Nest and putting them in different places of their houses and everybody was super into it. But then we found out like Alexa was always listening to us no matter what. And so it's like, yeah, maybe not have her in the, the bedroom. Uh, so a, a few years ago, uh, we were at a friend's house and the whole time we were there, um, their little three-year-old uh, little boy is named Mateo, and he kept talking to Alexa, and he'd, he would bark at her, and, you know, Alexa, turn the music up. Alexa, turn it down. You know, and then he would play my favorite song. It was all these little kids' songs, and it was actually really, really cute. Uh, and, and he had no clue what Alexa is or what it does. He just knows that someone out there is listening to him, and when he can talk to them, they can do some of the things that he really wants them to do. No, we don't actually have any uh, smart assistants in our house, uh, but we do use Siri a lot. And one of my favorite moments in life is actually listening to my wife argue or berate Siri when she's like telling her to do something and Siri mishears her or gets it wrong. And she's just like, Siri, call Jaron Sherwood, which is our son, call Jaron Sherwood cell. And Siri every time is like, I don't have a cell number for Jaron Sherwood. And she's like, you're an idiot. Just call this other number. You know, just like yelling at her. And I'm just like, wow, like, all right. Like, it's just... No need to get angry. I, I, and I know if you're like younger, if you're millennial or Generation Z, uh, I know you're used to all this stuff. You've grown up with most of it. Uh, but if I think about it too much, I sometimes, it, it sometimes kind of weirds me out a little bit that, that when I'm not talking to Siri, but sometimes she thinks I'm talking to her, right? And I don't know if that's ever happened to you. And so she responds or at least I hope she's responding. I hope she's not just like initiating a conversation, just like, hey, how's it going? You know, but, but we've all had moments where we realize that our phones and our devices and these little AIs that are in them and the, whatever you know, electronics we have around, that they're, they're listening when we don't want them to. And, and you know, on a regular basis, my wife's constantly like, like we were talking about, you know, whatever the other day. And just like right after that, I got an ad for it. It's they're listening. They're listening. And I was like, I know. She's like, the government. I was like, wow. All right. <laughs> Let's dial it back a little bit. Uh, but between Alexa and Siri and Google, we're moving into a world where everything in the world is going, it's going to be voice activated. And, and it's awesome, but it's, it's also kind of strange. And what's interesting is that in spite of all of that growth and advancement in technology and all of the communicating that we do with computers and AI, that, that we still haven't figured out how to effectively communicate with each other. And when you think about it, the quality of every relationship comes down to communication, learning how both to hear the other person and how to communicate in a way where they hear you. I mean, if you can think back over the, some of the biggest challenges of your life, so much of the pain and suffering and breakdown that we experience in life really can be traced back to this singular ability or lack of ability to communicate well. And so it really shouldn't be all that surprising to us that it's not just true of one another, you know, communication with each other, but it's also true of us and God. Like, like you can learn stuff about God and you can believe in him, but not always know what it actually looks like to have a relationship with him, to walk daily with him, to have a conversation with him. And it really all hinges on this idea of communication. I mean, we have language in church about how we talk to God or we talk with God, but most of the time we're really just talking at him. 
And if you're like most people, you've probably prayed a lot in your life. But most of the time, you don't even know if it worked, right? Like, was God paying attention? Did he just nod off in the middle? Did he get bored? Right? You know that moment where you're with someone and they're like an over-talker. They just talk and they talk and they talk and they talk. And they're just going and going and you can't get a word in. And you're just like, yep, wow, really? Whoa, that's crazy. And you just like have that on a loop as they're just talking. Wow, what, really? Whoa, wow, I didn't know that. You know, you just keep saying that over and over and over again. And and it's easy for us to wonder when we're talking with God, if like, if God's on the other end, because we're just talking to him, if he's just like, what? Wow, oh, that's crazy. He's just sort of on autopilot, not really listening. Did he fall asleep mid-sentence? And and all of those questions are just for our side of the conversation, right? And part of what makes communication with God so challenging is that it's mysterious enough when you're the one that's talking to him. But, but it's really difficult when we're on the receiving end to know if we're actually ever hearing from him. I mean, even when you're a person of faith, like we, we say that we believe that God speaks, but the practical way that we live most of the time in our lives, we live in a way that it, it, he doesn't. It's as if he's not speaking. But then have you ever known someone, like if you've been around church for a while, you grew up around Christians or you knew somebody that that it seemed like God was talking to them all the time, or at least they said he was. You know, maybe you know or have heard people talk about how they they read a verse in the Bible and it really, that God spoke to them, it was just for them. Or, Or maybe you've even had that experience, that there was something about that particular verse or that particular passage that it spoke to what you were going through right in that moment and what you were experiencing. And the timing of it couldn't have been more perfect, and it just was beyond coincidental, and it gave you insight and direction and peace. And if you've ever had that experience, you know that those moments can be incredibly powerful. The, the strange thing is, is obviously when you're reading the scriptures, no matter where you're reading, those words weren't written to you, right? They were written a couple of thousand years ago at minimum Uh, to people on the other side of the planet in a different culture who spoke a different language. But that is the beauty of the scriptures, right? It's just because something wasn't written to us doesn't mean that God doesn't have a message in it for us. So there's a verse in Hebrews that actually says it like this. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God, speaking of the scriptures, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In other words, When you crack open a Bible, when you begin reading the scriptures, they're also reading you, which is a little bit unnerving, if I'm being honest. But but when we sit down to read the Bible, that's what we want, right? We want what's being described in those verses in Hebrews, that, that, that it's living and powerful, that it applies to all of life, but that also somehow it sees us and it knows us and it speaks to our attitudes and circumstances and challenges. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible just isn't our primary source of truth. It's the main way that we hear God speak. It's the primary way that he speaks to us about who he is and about who we are. 
and also about how best to live. Have you ever been around somebody and they keep using a verse and they use that verse for everything and you're just like, I don't think you can use that verse for that. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like one, of the, one of the verses in the Bible that gets like used and abused a lot is a, a verse in Philippians that says, I can do all things through Christ. Um, and, and it gets used from everything from like eating competitions to like sporting <laughs> events to, you know, whatever. And, you know, I can do all things. And you're just like, I don't think that applies to how many pot stickers you can eat at the Chinese buffet, right? Like... You know, and they just keep using that, that verse over and over and over again. Anybody remember Inigo Montoya? Anybody? Yeah, okay, so I'm dating myself, you know. Like, th- that's what it's like, right? You, you keep using that verse, but I don't think it means what you think it means. Um, so we've all seen people say and do all kinds of wacky, dangerous even hateful things, and then justify their behavior with a Bible verse. So, so what's going on there? And, and if the Bible is the main way that God speaks to us, how does that happen? See, n- nothing that God says in any other way or in any other context will ever override, undermine, or contradict what he has said in the Scriptures. Well, that said, what about the Scriptures themselves? I mean, how do we actually make sense of what God is saying to us through the Bible? And more importantly, how do we make sense of what God means by what he's saying to us in the Bible? Well, to answer that, like I I, I wanted to get a little bit nerdy with you for just a minute and give you a couple of words that come from Greek ideas that I think that are helpful. They get used a lot in sort of theological circles. Um, and, And the two words are exegesis and hermeneutics. And it sounds like, I know, kind of like a weird medical condition or like a prescription drug, like pharmacy kind of thing. Like, you know, those commercials where it's like a kind of a nondescript mid fifties old guy playing like Frisbee in the park with his golden retriever, you know? And he's like, my hermeneutics flared up, but my doctor suggested exegesis. (laughs) Ask your doctor if exegesis is right for you, you know? You know what I'm talking about, okay? But that's not what we're talking about here. It sounds like that, but it's not. So exegesis, exegesis is the art of explaining, interpreting, and applying the intended meaning of the scripture. Not the one that you got out of it, but the intended meaning. When, when that person, when God moved on that person to sit down and inspired them to begin to write to a group of people, what was their intended meaning? It asks what the author of that passage was intending when they wrote it and what God was intending when he inspired it. And, and then there's the word hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, the best way to describe it is like it's the pair of glasses that you put on when you view the scriptures, when you read the Bible. And it can be anything, right? And most of the time, you don't know that you're wearing them. It can be your political beliefs. It can be American values. It can be your own sort of uh, filter that you have, your own experiences. And, and nobody does this perfectly. The truth is, is like part of it's just being aware that every time you sit down to read the Bible, you have some lenses that you're reading the Bible through. For us, we try really, really hard at our church for Jesus to be the only lens that we're using or the primary lens that we're using anytime we're reading the Bible, no matter what we're reading in the Bible. Every time we go to read the Bible, we should put on our Jesus shades. Why? Because otherwise we could justify all kinds of crazy things with the Bible because there was a lot of stuff that happened in the Old Testament. And you're just like, wow, I don't really know what to make of that. 
right? And, and a lot of people have used parts of the Bible to justify all kinds of crazy stuff like violence or bigotry or self-centered behavior, whatever you, what, whatever you want to insert in there. And that really explains how people can read the Bible and then use it to justify a terrible choice or treating some person really, really poorly. See, the truth is God speaks primarily through the scriptures and all the scriptures point to Jesus and our need for a relationship with him. Jesus himself said this exact thing in John chapter five. He said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures are pointing to me, and yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. See, God is speaking through the Bible. He's speaking through the scriptures, but if you want to learn what his voice sounds like, you got to look at Jesus, which is actually what we spent all of last week talking about. See, the whole Bible is important, but some parts of it are more important than others, and the Jesus parts are the most important part of all. Because every part of the Bible is pointing to him. And so if the Bible, like, if the Bible is the primary way that God speaks to us, that means that you and I actually have the opportunity every single day to sit down and crack open the scriptures and hear from God and have him speak directly to you. Like you, we, we could do that. Now, I, I get that if you're not a Jesus person, you're not a church person, I get that sounds kind of crazy and far-fetched to you. And, and I think if you're a follower of Jesus, could we just be honest? Like, it's some of the crazy label that gets attached to us, like, it's, it's a little bit understandable. We think we hear God. And if you're not a believer, that feels really strange, right? But I'm telling you, you and I have the opportunity to sit down every day and actually have God speak and whisper into your soul through the scriptures. Maybe you're thinking, well, I read the Bible sometimes, but I'm pretty sure God's never really spoken to me. Like it's mostly just sort of cryptic and confusing. I'm mostly just like, I don't know what's going on here. And so the question is, how do you read the Bible for all it's worth? How, how do you hear God speak to you when you sit down and open the scriptures? Well, first, just let me say, there's not a formula it's not like read these verses and do these things and then boom. That's not the way God's, God works. He's inviting you into a relationship. And relationships are both art and science, right? It's, it's learning to dance. Yeah, somebody could systematically teach you the steps to the dance, but that's not all there is to it, right? There's the connection and the movement between you and the other person on the other side. And then there's the music, that's involved in the type of dance. One of my favorite quotes is that is this is those who dance are thought to be insane by those who can't hear the music. And that is a perfect description of what it feels like sometimes to try to be a follower of Jesus is that there's this music playing and you can hear it and God's calling you, but you can't really figure it out or know where it's coming from all the time. And it takes practice to sort of learn how to get involved with that dance. See, God is calling to you. He's drawing you with the music of his love, inviting you to dance with him. And so throughout history, people of faith have had two approaches to reading the scriptures. The first one is they would re read it objectively with your head. And the second is reading it subjectively with your heart. 
So the first one is about finding the original intended meaning of the text. It's all that exegesis hermeneutic stuff that I was talking about a second ago. It, it, it is the starting point for reading the scriptures. You, you got to know what it meant to them there and then before you can really understand what it means for us here and now. And the second one is about uncovering, like reading with your heart. It's about uncovering what God is speaking to you personally through the text. And, and, and for God to speak to you when you approach the scriptures, you've got to have both. Because if you understand what the Bible means, but, but never what it's actually speaking to you personally, you have all this information about God, but it doesn't actually change or transform anything about you. It's useful and helpful, but it doesn't change you. On the flip side, if you ignore the original intent, if you ignore, ignore the, the context, you can easily begin confusing what God is saying to you through the scriptures with your own thoughts and your own feelings and your own ideas about what's being said. And then you start skipping over all the parts that you don't like or understand. And before you know it, you're actually not really following Jesus, you're following yourself and claiming that it's him or calling it him or believing that it's him. And so I wanted to do something a little bit differently today because there are lots and lots of resources that you can easily go out and access, uh, uh, excuse me, and access that will help you read the scriptures with your head. And I, I recommend the Bible Project. It is a fantastic organization. It's a fantastic website. It's amazing. In fact, there's some of us right now that are in a Bible reading group through the, the YouVersion Bible app, and um, it, we're reading this plan that's put out by the Bible Project. And uh, every time we enter a book or a big section of scriptures, there are these videos that explain what's going on in the historical context. And, and it's really super interesting and you're not gonna like wanna you know, poke your eyes out because it's so boring. It's fantastic. They have tons of amazing and helpful content. So you can go out there and find all that. But, but in the few minutes that we have left together today, I, I wanted to spend some time walking you through a spiritual practice to help you read more with your heart when you sit down to read the scriptures so that you can be in a better position to hear God speak to you specifically. It's a simple but very intentional exercise. It's been around for over a thousand years. It dates back to the sixth century. Um, if you're really into this kind of thing, it's, it, it was originally called Lectio Divina. It was in Latin because it dates back to the sixth century and it was developed by monks and all that stuff. But, but it's really just a, a, a process so that when you sit down to approach the scriptures that you read and you take time to reflect and you're going to pray and you're going to engage with God and you're going to be intentional about the stuff that you're reading so that you put yourself in the best position to hear from God and what he's saying to you from the scriptures. It's something I do on a regular basis. So there's four steps to make it easier for us to remember. We're just going to use an acronym that spells the word pray. Uh, and that just stands for pause, read and reflect, ask, and yield. And I know technically that's more like pray than pray, uh, but you get the picture. So let's walk through it together. Number one, anytime you go to sit down to read the scriptures, you should, it's not a regular book. You should take a moment and just pause. Whenever you go to read the Bible, before you do anything else, take a second, take a deep breath, and pause. It doesn't matter how you're wired. Most of us cannot just switch gears in the blink of an eye. We all need time to transition from one mindset to the next. It's the same reason why it can be really helpful 
when you've spent all day at work and you know a little while commuting on your way home, why it can be helpful for you to take a minute, sit in the driveway in your car for a few minutes and decompress and take a deep breath and allow your brain to shift from work mode and road rage mode and all the stuff that you experienced on your way home to family mode, to dad mode, to mom mode, to husband, wife, whatever. And the more chaotic your life is, the more that you will need to reset your soul in order to actually hear from God. In Psalm 46, verse 10, it says this, that God makes this really profound declaration and invitation. He says, be still and know that I am God. And this is a really, really well-known verse, but what often gets ignored is that in this psalm, the psalm is all about the troubles and problems and fears of those, all the stuff when life is sort of crushing in on you, when life hurts and it's falling apart and things are not going well and it's just crazy and chaotic. And I don't know what you're like in those moments, but I'm usually really stirred up and working overtime to try to hold it all together and make sure everybody's still happy and everybody, and I'm probably going to binge eat some ice cream later and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm certainly not in a place to just go, hey, I'm just going to crack open the Bible and hear God speak to me. Not because he's not speaking, but because I'm not in a position where I can listen or hear it. And so these words from God to be still and know, to hear, to connect with him are an invitation from God to be still, be still in spite of all the circumstances, in spite of life, not because life is perfect so you can just be still. Before you begin reading the Bible, anytime, just pause, sit quietly, take a few deep breaths, maybe take a short, slow walk if you need to, have a moment where you just invite God into that space to speak to you. The pause is a reminder for you to make space in that moment for him. Secondly, after you pause, then you begin to read, read and reflect. Whatever section of passage of Scripture you're reading that day, and there's lots and lots of, again, plans that you can get on that will walk you through that stuff. Whatever it is that you're reading that day, you're going to read it. If you're doing this process, you're going to read it at least twice. And so pick six, eight verses or one story or a parable or something that Jesus is saying or doing. You're going to read it at least twice, two, three times is ideal. Because the first time through that you're, you're reading it, you're much more likely to read it with your head, which is totally fine. You're just kind of, you're just getting the overview. You're getting the big picture. And you're going to think a little bit about what it's meaning, you know, what, what, it, what, what might, is, what's, what's going on, who are the people, what might God be saying. And, and, and you should take your time. Don't rush through it. You're not checking something off a to-do list you're sitting down for a conversation with the God of the universe, the creator. Make some space for that. Once you're done with that first time, read it a second time. Only this time when you're reading it, you're, you're going to reflect on it. You're going to make some observations. You're going to notice stuff you didn't notice the first time. You're going to want to get into it and dig around and feel what's happening in the story, what's being said. You want to notice things that you didn't notice and ask questions that you didn't ask the first time you read it through. What stands out to you? What word or phrase or verse seems to be kind of like have a little bit more weight in it for you? Not just in general, but for you. And, and why is that? that? That's a good question. It's like, why, why is this part of it speaking to me? Maybe you want to put yourself in the story. If you were there that day and you're watching Jesus do this miracle or you're listening to him teach this and what's around you, what do you see, what do you hear, what do you feel? 
What decision, when you're reading it, what action is God leading you to take when you're reading the scriptures? Spend some time just thinking and processing, not just what what you read, but what God might be saying to you as you read. You're going to pause, you're going to read and reflect and read it again, reflect some more, and and then you're going to take some time to have a conversation, ask. You're going to have a conversation with God about the observations that are sort of jumping out at you, the things that he might seem to be saying to you. You're going to pray. You're going to whisper. You might write out a prayer. It doesn't matter how or what. Just take some intentional time to have a conversation with him, to talk to him, to let him speak to you. There's no formula. Remember, this is a dance. You're learning how to dance. You're not just going to be like, oh, I did it. I checked the box, right? And, And the truth is, when you and I sit down to pray, almost every prayer that we could pray falls into three buckets. Help, thanks, wow. Almost every prayer you could think of that you would pray to God falls into those, one of those three buckets, right? And, and so maybe in your time, you need to take some time because there's stuff pressing in on you that you, you're just like, God, I need help, right? This is intentional where you're just admitting that you're not the master of the universe that you sometimes pretend to be. Right, that, that he's God and you're not God. It, when you're asking for help, it's asking for his wisdom and insight and strength and provision. It's telling God what you need and bringing other people's needs to him. Sometimes it's saying all of that and being able to just articulate it in a big list and all kinds of things and just saying it out to God. And sometimes it's just as simple as going, help! Because that's all you got in the moment. But take a moment and say, God, would you help me? Sometimes you're going to get into that experience in that space, and it's going to be all thanks. It's just going to be verbal. You going, God, thank you. You verbalizing your gratitude for what God has done for you, the little things and the big things and the physical things and all the emotional things and the spiritual things in your life for grace and truth and for love and conviction and for your job and your friends and your kids and your kids' giggles, for the breath in your lungs and the roof over your head, for Sunday afternoon naps because they are glorious and for Rocky Road ice cream. And you're just gonna say, thank you. It could be any of that or all of that. And of course, Be thankful for it all, but in the process, remember, we're in the middle of a process. Let God be your guide. Let let, let the the way that you're interacting with what you've read in that story be the thing that kind of instructs and directs that, God, this is what I'm so grateful for. Finally, there's that wow thing. And and wow are those prayers where we're just acknowledging God's brilliance, his, his bigness, his the, the beauty of his love for us. And, and that might not seem like a big deal to you to have moments where you pray in that, but, but this is huge. Why? And it is especially important for us in the way that the world is going and our culture is going because cynicism, I think, has become the, the, the new religion of the world, right? And, and cynicism kills faith and hope and wonder, but you're talking to God. You're talking to the one who created everything. When he speaks, everything changes. I mean, think about it. 
God said, let there be light, just four words. But let me paraphrase what he actually said. He said, let there be electromagnetic radiation with varying particles of wavelengths traveling at 186,282 miles per second. Let there be radio waves and microwaves and x-rays. Let there be vision because you can't see without light. Let there be food because food don't grow without light. Let there be energy because there's no energy without light. Let there be photosynthesis and fiber optics. Let there be satellite communications and suntans and rainbows after rainstorms. Let there be light. That's what he said. And that's just about light. It says nothing of his grace and his mercy and his love or the million other good things that he's done and created or that he is doing for you and I. And by the way, if he can do all of that in four words, let there be light. Imagine what he could do in you and for you. Imagine what he could heal or the, 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 the habits and the chains that he could break. Imagine what he could set free. Imagine what he could raise to life if you began to hear him speak into your soul on a regular basis. See, you're not just praying. It's help. It's thanks. It's wow. And when you pray in that moment, maybe you'll just do one of, one of those things. Maybe you'll have all three. The point is genuine connection and communication between you and God. So after you pause and after you read and reflect and read it again, and after you ask, last is yield. So there's a story in Luke chapter 5. And it was before Jesus had any disciples and he's out teaching one day and he decides to get in a boat. And at first it seems random, but it's not random because it turns out to be Peter and some of the other, like these professional fishermen, some of whom, many of whom ended up becoming his disciples after this moment. And so Jesus pushes out from the water and he's teaching for a little while. And when he's done, he turns to Peter and he says, hey, let's go over into that part and the deep part and let's do some fishing. And Jesus knew that they had been fishing all night. And so Peter kind of resisted. He's like, Master, like we've been fishing all night. We're the professionals. The, the, we've been doing this our whole life. We the professionals. I know where the fish are. I've caught more fish than you could ever dream of catching. You are a rabbi you know everything about the scriptures. You know all kinds of good stuff about God. I'm the fisherman. I know how to fish. He's like, we've been fishing all night. And then he says something incredible. He says, nevertheless, because you say so, I will. I'll do it. I, I have... Um, in my office, on the little table next to my office, and I keep one in the car, I wrote the, just the letters, B-Y-S-S-I-W, because you say so, I will. And I keep those around me all the time, and I look at them all the time, because I have a tendency to go, no, God, I don't really want to do that right now. I don't know if that you're telling me to, but I don't think you are, and so I don't really want to do it. But if you are, I guess I, because you say so, I will do it. That's the essence of this moment, this idea of yield. It's inviting God to make his thoughts, his ways, your thoughts, and your ways. 
And listen, when you, you sit down to walk through this process, you want to hear God speak, you're going to be tempted to end after the A. You're going to be tempted to just go prah. Right? Because that's how we end all the spiritual times. We pray and then boom, that's the end. But don't skip this part because this is the culmination and the application of everything that came before it, of you taking the time to pause, of you reading and reflecting and asking questions and making little notes, of you having a conversation with God and God beginning to speak with you. And then you have to step into this moment where you're just going, okay, God, I think I know what you're wanting to say to me. God, would you fill my life and my heart and my head with what you're thinking and what you're feeling and what you want to happen? In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said these words, if any, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. I've been a pastor a really, really long time. I've been a Christian even longer. I've never met any person, not one, who this is their favorite verse. Nobody's like, you know what verse this really gets me? The fact that I gotta take up my cross daily and follow him. No, it's not super inspirational, right? In fact, these are the verses that we're just like, could we just get back to the part where you love us? Right? Nobody's super eager to give up their own way. I'm not. The reason why I like my way is because I've thought about it. And your way is ridiculous, but my way makes a lot of sense. If there was a different way that was better, I'd do that because I'm smart, but my way is the best way. So I don't want to give up my way. But Jesus said doing that every day is what it actually takes to follow him. It's what it means to live in relationship with him. Now, obviously, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. You can just be like, <laughs> suckers. But every time we open the scriptures, we got to take time to wrestle with them and then listen for God to speak to us. And every time we do, we should expect God to identify something, whether it's really big or even really small, that we need to give up on our way of that, that we need to surrender to him. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do this week. I want to challenge you to take a couple of times. You don't need to do it every day. Do take two days. Pick two days and walk through this simple process a couple of times where you're going to pause. You're going to open the scriptures. You're going to pause. You're going to read and reflect. You're going to talk through. You're going to ask questions. You're going to dig around with it. You're going to listen to what God might be saying. See what sticks out to you and why. Right? Then you're going to begin to pray and ask him to help you. And then you're going to move into this part where you're just actively yielding to God and going, God, okay, I'm listening. I, th I, I hear that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow you. Meditate on, on a passage of Scripture this week using pray. Pause, read, reflect, ask, yield. And, and if you don't know where to start, begin in the Gospels. Begin with something that Jesus said or did. The Gospel of John's a great place. So one of my favorite scriptures in James chapter 4, verse 8. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote these words. He said, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I absolutely love this. See, God is always with you. God is always reaching out to you. But he will never force himself on you. But if you'll begin setting, as setting aside time, on a regular basis to draw close to him, he will come rushing toward you. 
He will close all the distance between what you think is between you and him. And he'll begin to whisper into your soul the words of life. And it will absolutely change your life. See, it's possible for you to hear God speak to you every single day. But it's going to be through the scriptures. Yeah, he's, he's going to talk to you in other ways. But he's waiting to be discovered and heard from you. And, and the truth is, is you can, God, we're, we're going to spend the rest of this series talking about all kinds of ways that God speaks to us. But it's going to be really difficult for you to genuinely hear from God and hear his voice and hear him speak anywhere else until you begin hearing him speak through the scriptures. That is the place because the word of God is living and powerful. By the way, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, a second ago I said that that part doesn't apply to you, that you have to give up your way and follow him. But James 4, 8 actually does apply to you. It's true for you whether you believe it or in him or not. That if you'll draw near to him, if you'll say, God, I'm not sure if you're real, but if you are and he's on his way, to come rushing in. Would you bow your heads? We're going to pray in just a moment, but Charlie and Lissette are going to sing through a song first. And I just want to invite you to allow God to speak to your heart. Have a conversation with him.